I remember when I first got saved and I was a young convert and I would go pass out flyers or tracks. Uh, I used to kind of judge people and just look at them and be like, they don't want to hear this and just let them walk by. I'd be like, hey, uh, you want to come to church, you know? It's like, so don't do that. You never know. You never know who's going to get saved. You never know by external appearances. Sometimes the craziest, hardest looking person might be the most willing person to accept Jesus in their heart. So just give it to whoever God leads you to, and God's going to do it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, if you would open your Bibles to Matthew 13. Matthew 13. And we're going to look at verse 33. <clears throat> And once you get there, say amen. 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 Let's go before God in prayer before we get in the word. Father, Father, we thank you that our ears are open, that our eyes are open, that our heart perceives, Lord. Lord, you said about us, Lord, you said, blessed are your ears because they hear, and blessed are your eyes because they see. For there were many men who longed to see what you see and to hear what you hear, and yet they didn't. Lord, we're a blessed house. Because we hear, Lord, we hear your voice, we hear your words, and we see what you're doing in our midst, Lord, with our very eyes. Father, we thank you today. We praise you. We give you glory and honor. Father, we pray that today the word would go deep in our hearts. Lord, today we're like Jeremiah. We eat your words. We eat your words. We're like John. We take the scroll and we eat it and we allow it to go into the depths of our being. We give you glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Matthew 13, verse 33. It says this. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. It says this is what the kingdom is like. It's like yeast. That goes into flour and it works its way through the entire batch until it fills the whole amount of dough. I used to work at uh, I used to work at Domino's Pizza, and at another pizza place called Flamingo's Pizza. It was on East 14th. It was booty. It only lasted like six months. <laughs> he would, you know, you'd work all week and then you'd come for paycheck on Friday, and he'd be like, "I got half of your money now, and then I have half, you know, like that kind of place." Look, I'm going to give you 40 right now, and then I'm going to give you 40 tomorrow. It was like, but I was young, and I wanted a job, so, you know, you put up with a lot of stuff when you're young. But all it takes is a little bit of yeast, just a little. And that little bit of yeast will work its way through the entire amount of flour. All the dough will just work its way through, and a little small, we used to have these little small things of flour, And when they would rise, they would become like that big because it would work its way through the entire amount. Yesterday, I made my wife some huevos rancheros. How many of y'all know what huevos rancheros are? If you never had huevos rancheros, talk to one of your Mexican partners and say, invite me over for some huevos rancheros. Basically, it's a tortilla, like a fried tortilla, not crispy, but just kind of fried on the bottom with some refried beans and a heart and a, and a, and a either sunny side up or, or fried egg or, or, you know, over easy, however you like it. I'm an over easy, you know, type of person myself. And uh, you put that fried egg on top and then you get salsa. 
some salsa and you got you to gotta heat it up, make it nice and hot, and you put it on top of, the, of that tortilla and egg and stuff mixture, and then you get some cheese. You get some cheese and put it all over it, and if you want, you can put ground beef. Some people put meat and all that, but it's banging. And so my wife had been telling me, you got to make me some huevos rancheros. I was like, all right, I'm, I'll, I'll make you some huevos rancheros. So yesterday, I got up and I made her some huevos rancheros. And I, did, I went all out, man. I, I, got, I got everything. I got all the pots and all the pans and the tortillas. And I, I hooked it up, man. You know, made everything fresh. No, no canned tomato sauce. I got the tomatoes, diced them up, hooked it up, all that good stuff. Right? I was excited. And uh, I got some salt. I didn't have a salt shaker, so I just grabbed the salt, poured it in my hand. You know how you, when you don't have a salt shaker, you pour it in one hand. And then you just get a little and just sprinkle it, right? Just a little. And so we started eating them. And the devil's a liar. I put too much salt in the sauce, and it just ruined the whole thing. We ate it because it was still kind of good, but it was just too salty, you know? And so what was a good, well-meaning gesture, and we were so excited, it just, uh, you know, it didn't work out like I wanted it to. But just a little too much salt ruined a perfectly good meal. Just a little salt. I didn't grab a handful of salt and just go, and just put it all over it. Just a little too much salt. It worked its way through that meal, and it ruined it. And Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like yeast. Now, the kingdom of God doesn't ruin things. It makes things better. On a positive note, when the kingdom comes, it changes things. When the kingdom comes, it starts as a small thing. How many of us heard the gospel? We were lost in our trespasses and in our sins. We heard the gospel and it permeated. It began to just, it just go through every part of our life. It changed us from the inside out, right? That's what the kingdom did. Now that's a positive, on a positive note, but there's two sides. There's a negative and a positive aspect. And so I want to touch on both. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about on a negative sense. In 1 Corinthians 5, 6, Paul talks about yeast in the negative sense. And he says this. I'm going to just throw out the scripture for reference, but I'm going to just read through it. So 1 Corinthians 5, 6, it says, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? He uses that same concept that Jesus used about yeast. And he said, don't you know that just a little yeast works its way through the entire thing? And he's saying this in response to sexual immorality in the church. There was someone sleeping with their stepmother. And instead of dealing with it, they were just letting it go. And Paul was saying, look, just a little yeast will ruin the whole thing. You got to deal with this. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5.3, he admonishes us. He says, don't let not even a hint of sexual immorality be named among you as becoming saints. He said, don't even let a little hint, a little hint dwell among you as becoming saints. I remember at my old job at the Port of Oakland, we had all these, you know, I worked with a lot of truck drivers from different places and, you know, they weren't, none of them were really saved. Well, they weren't saved. They were unbelievers. And so they would, you know, they'd be out there messing around, talking, and they would have their, you know, they'd pull out their little dirty magazines or if a girl would walk by, they would just say, hey, look at her. She's fine, huh? And I'd be like, nah, man, I ain't trying to, I don't look at that stuff. I'm not trying to do that. They're like, why not? It's just a little look. Just, you can look, just don't touch. You can look, but don't touch. It's just a little look, Right? That's that's and you know what's sad that sometimes even in the church, I've even heard Christian men say things like that. 
I heard somebody try to say, well, I'm just admiring God's creation. <laughs> right? You know, when you see art, you just admire the art. When you see a nice car, you admire a nice car. Well, this beautiful girl or this handsome, yoked man with his six-pack and his, you know, big old neck and just yoked and ripped up looking like the rock. You know, I'm just admiring him. Just admiring him. You can call it admiring and where I come from, we call it lust. <laughs> come on now. And Paul says, don't even let a little bit of that dwell in you. Because that's how it starts. David, one day he's just walking, this mighty man of God who saw Jesus, who had revelations of Jesus. He's walking on his balcony one day. And he sees this girl taking a bath. He just looks. That little look became murder, adultery, conspiracy. Come on now. Just that little look. If he would have been like Job, I'm going to make a covenant with my eyes and be like, man, I'm cool. I need to go in the house. I got to call this brother right now and say, pray for me. No, he just looked and looked and looked. And then he began to read. How do you say, Dr. C? He thought to himself. He thought to himself. Just a little thing became this big thing. Paul says in, in, with sexual immorality, he says it's like yeast. It'll go through the entire dough. It'll ruin our lives. In another illustration in Galatians 5, verse 8 and 9, Galatians 5, verse 8 and 9, he says this. He says, that kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. He uses that analogy again about yeast, just a little, and it works its way through the entire batch of dough, just a little. And in this context, he's talking about, he's, he's using it in response to some people that had came into the church and began to teach that we were not saved by faith in Jesus Christ, but we were saved by observing the law. And so in this church, in the church of Galatia, they began to observe the law. They began to observe festivals. They began to observe certain things they ate and didn't eat. They began to be circumcised. They began to think that the way they got closer to God was by observing the law. And by doing so, they were nullifying faith. And Paul has to tell them, look, that persuasion, that teaching, it doesn't come from the one who calls you. It's a lie. It came in, it just a little bit of bad teaching. It came in, and pretty soon it began to work its way through the church. To the point where, you know, have you ever met legalistic people? Or have you ever been legalistic yourself? I have. It's, it, it's, no, it's not fun. Because I can never do enough. I could pray three hours, but I'm like, why didn't I pray four hours? I mean, Smith Wigglesworth prayed six hours. So I ain't even scratched the surface of prayer yet. I could give, you know, 20% of my income, but then you read about people that give 60%. Of, you know, you can never, when it's about works, you can never work hard enough. And that mentality, that legalism, it begins to permeate itself through us. And it takes the joy. Paul even said that. He said, what happened to all your joy? He said, what happened to all your joy? Because now it's like, I got to go to church. I got to tithe. I got to give. I guess I got to tell people about Jesus. I got to do this. And you know what it breeds? 
It also breeds pride. Legalism breeds pride because pretty soon you see all the things you do and it's easy to look at what others don't do and be like, man, I went to all 21 days of prayer and -and so-and-so only went to 10. (laughs) And this other person only went to three. It begins to breed pride in our life. He said that persuasion doesn't come from the one who calls you. In Luke 12, 1, Jesus says this. He says, meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another. Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. In Matthew 16, verse 6, Jesus says, be careful. You know, Jesus did, was in light with words. You know, we say, we, 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 we diminish words. You know, that's why when someone says, I love you, it, it doesn't really have a lot of meaning because we use I love to talk about a burger. I love in and out So when you say, I love you, it's like, it's like this, this brother I know that every movie he sees is a 10. Every movie, every movie. Bro, did you see that movie? Bro, it's a 10. So it's like, okay, I don't know if I got to see it. You know, there's certain people that when they say a movie's a 10, it's like, oh, I got to watch it because that person never says something's a 10. And so they throw 10s out so much that it's like the worst movie in the world is a 9. And you're like, okay, whatever, right? But Jesus isn't that way. When he says be careful, he means it. He's not just trying to have effect. He says, be careful, be careful. Jesus said to them, be on your guard, be on your guard. You know, I was, I'm from East Oakland and I'm basically I'm from Oakland. I moved from El Salvador when I was four years old. I've lived in Oakland all my life. I was raised in West Oakland. My mother got her purse taken from her at our doorstep many a times. Okay. We used to get our cars broken into. We used to see people get shot. You'd hear gunshots. And, you know, we moved to East Oakland to a better place. You know, 8th Avenue and East 21st, Funk Town. Right? We went from West Oakland, Ghost Town. We went to Funk Town. You know, and then we went to, you know, then we went to 35th. And then we went to East 14th. And, you know, I'm from Oakland. I've lived in Oakland here, there, and everywhere. You know, when you walk through Oakland, when you walk through the streets of Oakland after 10 o'clock, or after, actually after it gets dark, you like this. <laughs> I don't care how much, how much you speak in tongues, you're like, you know, I want to make sure ain't nobody creeping on me. Right? Jesus says that's how you need to be with the teaching of the Pharisees. You need to be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. In Matthew 16, 12, he explains what it is. He says, then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast using bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. When he told them, you need to watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees, they were like, oh, man, we didn't bring no bread. Man, we did not stock up on the bread. And Jesus was like, idiots, idiotes. Come here. 
I'm not talking about bread. I'm talking about their teaching, he said. And he tells us what the yeast is. It's hypocrisy. And he says, be careful. Be on your guard. In both of these verses, he says, be on your guard. Be careful. How many of you ever had some brand new white shoes? Lift your hands. Or a brand new white outfit. I had got these really nice all white with a little blue trim, Jordans. And I was walking like this. <laughs> like I didn't want anything, not even a little bit to just soil my nice shoes. And in my school, if you stepped on someone's shoes when they just got them, what happened? It was a fight. It was like, dude, you stepped on my shoes. Oh, we got to meet me at the school. It's on. Or a nice new car. Just got your new ride. Just the littlest thing. You see that scratch? It could be like, not even a scratch. And you're like, what is this? Big old scratch on my car. It's like a little bitty. I remember when we got our car, my neighbor hit my car. My wife was so furious. She came and said, she was like, he hit our car. There's a big old scratch on it. And I go out there. It was a little bitty. She's like, we're going to call the insurance. Is he going to pay for this? It was a little bitty scratch. <laughs> no, it wasn't that little, but it was little. And that's how we are. Well, how much more our souls, how much more our walk with God, how much more the teaching that we listen to. He said the yeast is hypocrisy. One of the things in the body of Christ that grieves my heart is when I see people who are so unguarded toward bad teaching and bad and false teachers. I remember a few years ago, there was a very prominent member in the, in the church or a very prominent speaker, world-renowned speaker. If I said their name, you would know them. Uh, and basically, this person had a divorce. They, they had a divorce with their spouse. And they went in front of millions of people and they justified it on national television, on YouTube, on every Christian channel. And they justified it by saying, we thought it was for a lifetime, but I guess it's just for a season. I know God said, I hate divorce. And I know that God says that marriage is until death. But, but it was just for a season. I'm not happy. We're moving on from this. You know, like you move on from a loan or from, you know, from something really small, you know, a little loan. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm not going to pay that. Something real. This is marriage. It isn't a small thing. This is a big thing. I'm going to just move on. And I was, and this person, I went to a place and I'm hearing this one, of this, uh, this Christian, this, this believer, and they're talking about this particular person. Because even after this person did that, they continue to teach. They continue to be out in the open, continue to write books to this day. They still are. And uh, I was, you know, they were telling me how this was their favorite teacher. I love this person. They are so anointed. And I'm like, you know, you shouldn't really listen to that person. Why not? I'm like, well, because did you know that they, you know, committed, you know, basically they divorced their spouse and they went on air and said that it was okay. It was just a season. I mean, think about how such a small thing. How many marriages, how many people heard that and they were going through hard times in their marriage and thought to themselves, you know what? Maybe this is just a season. This woman is driving me crazy. 
my season is over. That no good brother is driving me crazy. This season is over. How many marriages were destroyed because of this teaching? Because of this yeast that worked its way through. And this person, I began to tell them all these things and point to them like this person's, uh, you know, things of extravagance and, and, and just, just th- all these things in this person's life that are not cool. And they couldn't say nothing, so they finally ended the discussion by saying, oh, well, I like their books, they're anointed. Jesus said, watch out for that. Watch out for hypocrisy. Watch out for people that tell you the truth, but their lives don't live up to it. Be on your guard against it. Jesus even, you know, Solomon, Solomon's, I read the Proverbs all the time, but at the end of his life, Solomon was struggling. He was tripping. But I don't, you know, I, I, I don't follow his ways. I don't, I don't follow his example. I, I, I might accept the teaching, but I'm not following his example. And Jesus tells them, he says, look, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, whatever they tell you to do, do it. But don't be like them because they don't practice what they preach. So we must be on our guard, not only against false teachers, but also against false teaching. We need to be careful what we listen to. We need to there's this one uh, uh, there's this one person that says this a lot. And they're a very, a very prominent person in the body of Christ. And they say. We should become so familiar with the truth that we can see a counterfeit a mile away. We should be so intimate with the truth. We should be close, so close to God and to his word that when a counterfeit comes on a horizon, we see it. I know my wife. I know my friends. I'm a very intimate person. I know them. So if, if I hear something, it's like, whatever. No, that didn't happen like that. I can tell you that. Why? Because I know them. I'm intimate with them. I know there's things they wouldn't do, things they wouldn't say. Jesus says to be on our guard against this teaching, against hypocrisy, because it's yeast. It'll spread through our lives. In James 3, 5, another thing that starts as a small thing and becomes a big thing. In James 3, 5, it says, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body. It's small. But it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Think about a great forest. And one spark can set that whole thing on fire and cause tremendous destruction. One word can destroy someone's life. One word that you receive can destroy your life. We need to be careful how we use our words. It's like this. It could be the smallest thing. Someone could be talking to me about Pastor Joseph. Oh, man, Pastor Joseph, da-da-da, and he did this, and we're going to do this for God. And I'm like, you know, I don't know about Pastor Joseph. But anyway, dude, did you see that game? You see that little remark? That little spark can, what about Pastor Joseph? We are so unguarded with our words. Words destroy churches. Churches are destroyed from within, not from without. When they come and they try to kill us and take us off, 
That doesn't destroy us. It causes us to grow more. Opposition doesn't destroy churches. Communism didn't destroy the church. None of those things destroy. It just makes us grow. But what I've seen destroy churches is words, gossip, a little word. A little word. Most of the time, they're not even true. It's just our own perceptions. And we're so unguarded by what we say and so careless. You know, Jesus said this, and this is scary. He said, men are going to give an account for every word. Every idle word they spoke on the day of judgment. Is it me or is that scary? Men are going to give an account for every word. Every word, not words, every word. Every idle word that we've spoken. A small spark can start a tremendous forest fire. A small spark. Something, think about how many people's lives were destroyed or set on a path of destruction or misery or depression because some ignorant teacher told them you'll never amount to nothing. Or because some coach told him, you know what, you're not good enough, you're not tall enough, you, you know, basketball ain't the sport for you because that, you know, you're too short. Yeah, we have the examples of Michael Jordan who was cut from his high school team, but it didn't, he didn't allow that to phase him. He believed in his gift and he continued to press forward and became the greatest basketball player of our generation. Yeah, you have examples like Jeremy Lin where he was constantly cut, constantly thrown aside because you're too small, you're too soft, you don't jump high enough, you don't shoot good enough, you know, you're too smart. I mean, whatever it was, whatever the stereotypes were about him and all the people, I mean, he wasn't just cut once. He was cut over and over and over and over and over, but it didn't matter. He continued to believe and God opened up a door for him. But... That's the exception, not the rule. I bet you there's more people that somebody told them they had a dream and they're like, I want to do this. And they're like, no, you can't do that. And they're like, okay. Right? I remember when I tried to start my business, they told me, the, the place I used to work, they said, this is not a good economy to be trying to start no business. Well, three years later, I mean, we're still pushing. We made it three years. At least it came out of me. At least it's no longer there. At least I did it. I told my kids the other day, I'm like, at least you did it. At least try. Because they're they're dreaming for big colleges. They're thinking of big colleges. And they're like, well, it's kind of hard to get in those. I'm like, you know what? Do your best. And if you don't get in, at least you can say, I did everything in my power to get in. But one negative word can just derail somebody's life. My kids, they get me upset sometimes, or a lot of times. (laughs) But I don't verbally abuse my children. If anything, I'll give them the silent treatment and be like, I don't want to, just right now, don't bother me. (laughs) Because I know that one word in my anger, I wish I didn't have you, you guys get on my last nerve, you know why I can't stand you, something like that can crush them. 
Watch how you talk to your kids. They're not our kids. They're God's kids. I don't have a right to talk to them in your way. These are all the negative examples of yeast. Something small that became big. A little word that destroyed someone's life. A little sin that destroyed someone's life. It talks about in Ecclesiastes 10. It says that as flies give ointment bad, a bad smell. Even so a little folly outweighs honor. A little folly can outweigh honor. Just a little thing. Just a little thing. Now on the positive note. Amen. This principle works two ways. It has a negative way of how it works, but it also works in a positive way. When Jesus quoted that, when he said that in Matthew 13, 33, he said he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. When he uses it, he uses it in a positive light. He says the kingdom of heaven is like yeast. A little yeast that's come the seemingly insignificant Jewish carpenter in the world's eyes that comes and he seemingly insignificantly is teaching all these people. And these seemingly insignificant fishermen and tax collectors that gathered around him and prostitutes, very insignificant, turn the world upside down. God ushered in the kingdom. He didn't come with a high horse and with a sword and with war and with weapons of war and with power. He came as a humble servant. He emptied himself of his glory. He emptied himself of his divinity and he became a man like you and I. Insignificant in the world's eyes. The kingdom. How does it start? How did you get saved? A word. A word. Someone shared the gospel with you. And it changed your life. I was heading towards death. Actually, I wasn't. I was dead. And just living it out to when I was really going to die. And the yeast of the kingdom came. And all of a sudden, it began to reverse all the effects of sin in my life. All of a sudden, I was I didn't want to smoke weed. All of a sudden, I didn't want to go out and fornicate. All of a sudden, I want to be in church. And, you know, my church wasn't exciting and diverse like this church. It was old folk and about four of them. And the only young person was Willie. He was like 12 years old. You know, we, and it was just, but I wanted to be there. I wanted to hear the gospel. My life was changed. Because the gospel came in, the kingdom came in, and it began to reverse the effects of sin and death in my life. The Bible says we live by the law of the spirit of life. The law of the spirit of life will destroy, it will plow through the death in my life. The old order of things in our lives are dying, and the new order of things is living. That's how the kingdom works. The little insignificant, you know, you think about it. Paul described it like this. He said the gospel is foolishness. <laughs> foolishness by the foolishness of preaching. Men's lives are changed. 
But something as foolish just talking. Lives are changed. Amen. Destinies are set in motion by something seemingly small. In Proverbs 18.21, we talked about the negative effect of the tongue. In Proverbs 18.21, it says the tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. The tongue has the power, power of life and death. We can use it for death or we can use it for life. Think about a word that you heard that set you free. Think about someone coming up to you and just saying, I love you. And meaning it. And it changes your life. Think about someone telling you God has a plan and a future for you. And all of a sudden, wow, God has a plan and a future for me. Think about someone coming up to you in your discouragement and encouraging you, telling you it's going to be okay. God loves you. God is with you. Man of God, fear not. And you're free. Don't be afraid. Discouraged because people at work are persecuting you or people at school are persecuting you. And someone comes up to you and they just say something like, don't be discouraged. And all of a sudden you're free. Words have the power of life and death. And it says those who love it will eat its fruit. I want to eat the fruit of life. Amen. I want to eat the fruit of life. I want to eat the fruit. I want to give words to people that are going to set them free. I want to encourage them. I want to build them up. I want, I want people to feel the way others made me feel. When I was in my struggles, when I was in my depression, how someone came around me and put their arm around me and said, I love you. Made me feel like the most important person on the face of the earth. That's how I want to make people feel. Amen. By a word. It's not, you know, a lot of the time words have lost so much of their, their meaning, but words are powerful. They're powerful. They have the power of life and death. And we're going to use it for life. In Psalm 107.20, it says that God sent forth his word and he healed them. Everything that we do is to heal people. I remember I would see people in sin, people going through some struggles and, and, and in bondage. And I remember going through uh, the, the uh, in Matthew when it talks about when a brother sins and you, you got to go up to him and confront him. And then after you confront him, you get another witness and you come before him and you confront him. And then if he still doesn't listen to both of you, you take it to the church and then the church confronts him. And if he still is in his rebellion, then you just treat him like a tax collector or a sinner. You basically, all right, whatever. I would read that verse, but I looked at it through legalistic eyes like a checklist. My heart was not, when I went up to my brother to, 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 come to, to be like, bro, what you're doing is wrong. My, my mind, it was like I'm going through the checklist. If it, I just, I'm seeing the day when I'm going to throw him out. When I'm going to tell pastor, this brother's fake, he got to go. I, 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 my heart wasn't to restore him. When I went up to him, it wasn't to restore him, it was to judge him. 
Even in our, even when we rebuke people, you know, I remember seeing, you know, a lot of times just rebuking just to do it. Just, I'm going to just rebuke you. I got to rebuke you. I'm going to rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. You know what? I rebuke you. What is the purpose of it? To heal. To persuade them to turn from their sins so they may live. The word is sent forth to heal. And sometimes that word, you know, you go to the doctor. Sometimes the doctor is going to be like, you know, I'm going to just put a little, you know, I'm, I'm going to put a little uh, uh, aura gel on your, on your teeth. You know, you got a little pain, put a little aura gel. Or sometimes the good doctor will be like, we got to yank that puppy out. And we got in there, he got his needle and he's over there working with his needle. And you're like, uh-oh, I don't want that in my mouth. And he's got his pliers and you're like, oh, no. Sometimes all it takes is just a little ointment. A little Band-Aid and a little, you know, just a little ointment on that wound. But sometimes you got to yank that puppy out. But it's all meant to heal. I remember having a toothache that was bothering me. You know, with toothaches, they don't get, it doesn't like get to a place that it just stops. You know, it's like, all right, this is the tolerance of pain and that's as far as it goes. Glory to God, I can handle that level. No, that thing will get worse and worse and worse to the day where it tells you, you're going to pull me out. I had a toothache like that. And I lived with it for months. I'd, oh, you know, and I'd get a little Motrin and it'd go away and, you know, put a little ointment on it. I'm like, oh, man, I feel better. And then it'd come back and then it just progressively grew worse and worse. And, you know, pretty soon, like, my whole head would be throbbing. And I'm like, man, I don't really have the money to go get this worked on. And, you know, all. and then one day, it was just like, I still remember it. I was in bed and it was like, it just snatched sleep out of me. I'm just sleeping. It's like, oh! And now, at that moment, when you have that kind of pain, it isn't like, oh, this will subside. It had got to the point where Motrin wasn't helping. All right, that, 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 that ship had sailed a long time ago. That medicine wasn't going to help anymore. And it was like, oh! And I just began, I'm like, I need to call somebody and see if they'll owe me some money. I'm getting this pulled out today. And I had to go through the process of the needle and, you know, the whole thing. And they extracted my tooth, but it, it brought healing to me. That's what the word is meant to do. It's meant to, it's meant to heal. In terms of money, Proverbs 13, 11, it says, Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. There's very few people that become rich because they received an inheritance or they won a jackpot. A lot of times they, it's people that began to make good decisions, financial decisions, that began to save little by little. And that little $30 a week began to become, it, be, it became thousands. They saved a little $30 a week faithfully and pretty soon they had a thousand and then they put it in a CD and then or whatever kind of invest, they invested it and then it multiplied and then they continued to sow the little $30, that little insignificant $30 and they stayed away from the little credit card debts and the little $35 fees and the little 27% interest and then they, then the little $4 coffee. I mean, come on somebody. I filed for bankruptcy at 21. 
It wasn't one bad decision. It was a lot of them. It was a lot of them. By the flip side and the positive, by little, just little things, just little by little is how the Bible teaches us. Little by little, just little by little, little wise choice here, a little smart decision there, another little, you know, astute decision there. And pretty soon that wisdom, that little bit of money, that little 30 there and that little 40 here and that little 16 there, that little nine there and that little four there. Pretty soon you got you got some G's. He says we gather it little by little and we make it grow. The Bible says don't despise the day of small beginnings. You know, a lot of times we say it's a little thing. It's just a little thing. It's just a little sin. It's just a little white lie. It's just a little gossip. Boy, we don't say it's gossip. We say it's sharing. Brother, brother Eris, can, can, can you share with me what happened between you and Kevin the other day? I saw you guys kind of heated. Will you share with me so I can take it to the Lord in prayer? We don't say gossip. We say share. A little thing. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. I heard a story about this man that was asking God to, to bless him financially. And, he, and God had told him he was going to make him a millionaire. And, but he was broke. But he was believing God. And he was trying to be wise. And, and he said he would walk by pennies all the time. And he would just walk by them. And one day as he's about to, he sees a penny on the floor, he's about to walk by and, and the spirit of God says, don't despise the day of small beginnings. And from that day on, he made it a habit to pick up every penny. Not that those pennies made him rich, but it was a principle that, you know, value every little thing. Amen. Don't despise that. You want millions, but you're walking by pennies all over it all day long. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. The kingdom of God is like yeast. It's going to work its way through every part of our life. It's going to work its way in the way we handle our money. It's going to work its way in the way we talk to people. It's going to work its way in the way we live our lives. In 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31, the Bible says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. Not just some things. One of the things that God has been breaking, I've been on this journey for years, is just the dividing of, you know, when, when it's like with spiritual things, when I pray, when I read, when I go to church, when I seek the things of God, all those things, man, I go after it, man. I'm intent, I'm focused, I'm like, I'm going to get after this. I'm not going to waste one service, I'm not going to waste anything. But then when it would come to my job, or when it would come to things around the house, or little things, little things, it was like, Mm, you know, and God's like, no, do everything for the glory of God. Let everything you put your hand to be subdued under the kingdom. Everything you do, every little act, every gesture, everything you do, do it with God consciousness and do it with for the glory of God. There was a young man at our old church. And he was giving his testimony about how he got saved. And basically, he came to youth group. He was at the door standing. It was his first time. There was nowhere to sit. And he's just kind of standing, looking, looking around for a place to sit. And all of a sudden, someone grabs a chair for him. And he says that that little thoughtful gesture opened his heart up to the gospel. Amen. Just a real small gesture. It opened him up. Everything we do, you guys... 
You know, a lot of us have destinies. There's missionaries and there's prophets and pastors. There's people that are going to plant churches. There's people that are going to give their lives for the gospel. There's people that are going to start powerful businesses for the Lord. There's a lot of people here that are going to do great and mighty things. But you know what? Let's not wait 10 years to begin to give it all to the glory of God. Let's do it now. Every little thing we do now. You know what? I'm going to be wise right now with my little $30. I'm going to be wise right now just sweeping these floors. I'm going to be wise right now. One day I'm going to plant this giant church with thousands of people. Well, how about you just steward the little 10 people God's giving you and just love them? How about your family, the two kids and the wife or the husband that God's giving you? Steward them, love them, give them the word of God. Let every Everything you do be for the glory of God everything amen. amen a lot of the times we think we're so insignificant Jeremiah 5 1 God tells Jeremiah this he says go up and down the streets of Jerusalem look around and consider search through her squares if you can find but one person who deals honestly and seeks the truth I will forgive this city You guys understand the context of when God told Jeremiah this? He is getting ready to wipe these people off the face of the earth. They began to sacrifice. People were sacrificing their children. They would bring their babies. Think about all the cute babies we have around here. They would bring those cute little babies and they would offer them up to a false god. They would throw them in the fire and sacrifice them as an act of worship to their God. It wasn't our God. It was a false God. And God is looking at this every day from heaven. Looking at all this idol worship and seeing all this sexual immorality and all this injustice. People getting over on each other. People killing one another. He sees all this stuff and God's like, that's it. And the foreign armies are surrounding Jerusalem. And they're getting ready to go in there and utterly destroy it. And in the midst of that, God says, if you can find one person, Jeremiah, that deals honestly and seeks the truth, I will forgive this city. The power of one. You think you're so insignificant and small. You have so much power for good. Amen. Smith Wigglesworth, he goes, he's so full of the spirit of God. He walks through a a subway station. He's not preaching. He doesn't have his little, you know, his little Turner burn sign or his little or his little, you know, sinners go to hell T-shirt. He just walking through the, you know, train station and he sits down on his seat. And this priest, this priest is sitting there and he tells him, Get away from me. You convict me of my sin. He didn't say a word to him. But the presence of God was on him so strongly that just being in his presence made him acutely aware of his sin. David, King David, you know, when he was on the run from from Saul, from Saul trying to kill him. He was not under any favorable circumstances whatsoever. The kingdom and all the promises that were promised him, he was as far away from the promises of God as you could imagine. Had every right to be discouraged. Here you are, God. You told me I'm going to be the king and and I'm running for my life. I don't even know if I'm going to live after today. He could have been discouraged. He could have been bitter. 
And what does the Bible say? It says that men, 400 men gathered to David in the desert, in the middle of his struggle. And it says that these men, what kind of men you think they were? You think it was a bunch of worshipers that loved the Lord and they just came around David and just made him feel really good about himself. It says that he gathered unto himself all the discontented, the discouraged, the indebted, all the just bottom of the barrel people. And it says he changed them. They became a mighty army for the Lord. They did not affect him. He affected them. One godly praise and worshiper that trusted God changed these men's lives. And they became a mighty army. One man. There is so much power in a seemingly insignificant thing. In the world's eyes, on a personal level, you and I, we're insignificant. They even said it about the early church, leave them alone. What they're doing will come to nothing. But we are so powerful because the kingdom is within us. It's within us. Inside of us is the glory of God, Christ in us, the hope of glory, who we preach. That's in us. In Genesis 18, 16 through 33, we see the same example of Abraham and Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's reasoning before God. He's like, God, you're not going to destroy this place, are you? He's like, what if there's 50 righteous people there? He was like, if I find 50 righteous, I won't destroy it. Well, God, all right, don't get mad at me. Don't kill me. But what about 45? What if there's only 45 people there? He's like, if I find 45, I won't destroy it. Oh, Lord, let me, can I, can I say one more thing real quick before I go real quick? Just give me another second. How about 40? If I find 40 people in that wicked city, I won't destroy it. God is about to rain fire and brimstone on this place. He's like, I find 40, I won't destroy it. Lord, what about 35? I won't destroy it. 30. 25, 25, 25, going, 25, 25, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, going, 21, you know, 15, 10. He says, if I find 10, I won't destroy it. That God would spare a city for 10. Everywhere that you are, God has put you there to be a light, a bright light, a shining light. The enemy and people will try to make you feel insignificant and like your presence doesn't matter, but it matters And you are the yeast of the kingdom of God that is going to spread through that entire place for good. The day is coming. There's this vision of the end times, and I'll close with this. In Daniel 2.35, it's a vision that he had about the end of the world. And it basically, it's all these kingdoms that were going to be upon the earth. The kingdom of Babylon and the kingdom of Persia and the kingdom of Rome and the new world order that's coming, all these things. And it says in this vision that he saw a rock that was cut out of a mountain. It was a little rock, and it came. And it says that it struck the statue, which signified these kingdoms, and it became a huge mountain, and it filled the whole earth. You know what? That blow has already been handed to the kingdom of darkness, like the Titanic. It's already been hit, and it is going down. But the kingdom of God will fill the earth like water on the sea. The kingdom of God has and will prevail. And we need to live in light of that in everything we do. If you're a son or a daughter of God in this place, the kingdom is within you. Jesus says, stop looking outside for the kingdom. It's inside of you. Amen. 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 Let's stand.
Hallelujah, Father. Father, we worship you. We exalt you. Let the kingdom spread through our lives. Let it saturate every area of our lives. Let our thinking come unto subjection to the kingdom. Let our living, Lord, let our resources, our kids, everything we own, everything we have, we bring it into subjection to the kingdom of God. Maybe you're in this place and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says that the spirit and the bride, they say, come, drink from the free gift of life. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but he came into the world to save it. And today Jesus is here to save. Anytime Jesus is on the scene, he is there to destroy the works of the devil and to bring healing over people's lives. And Jesus is here to bring healing. If you're in this place and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you've never confessed him as your Lord and Savior. You've never put your faith in him. You've never devoted your life to him. If I was to ask you, do you know if you're saved, if you were to die, do you know without a shadow of a doubt that you would spend eternity with God in heaven or not? If you would say, you know what, I I really don't know. I don't know if I'm saved. I've never asked Jesus into my life. But today I want to ask the Lord to come into my life and to be my Lord and Savior. If that's you, I want you to lift your hands in God's presence and we'll pray with you. The gospel is for all men. It's the good news. It's the good news. It is not bad news. It's good news. If that's you, lift your hand in God's presence. Father, I pray you would touch anybody in this place that does not know you and give them a revelation of Jesus. Today, I ask God that the words of life would just saturate their hearts and that, Father, their eyes would be open to the truth and that you would take them from whatever it is that hinders them from entering into your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Saints, maybe there's something in your life that you say, you know what, you've been saying it's a little thing, but if you look at it, it's really a big thing. Maybe on a negative sense. Maybe there's something that you've been saying, oh, it's just a little thing. But you know, you know, we can lie to one another, but we can't lie to ourselves. On the outside, I can make an excuse for things, but when I go home, I got to deal with that stuff. And you would say today, you know what, Oscar? There's some yeast in my life that is potentially destructive. And today, I want to ask the Lord. I want to give it to the Lord. I want to ask him to remove it from my life. If that's you today, I just want you to give it to God. I want you to say, Lord, here it is. I want you to say, Lord, here it is. And if you want to come to these altars, we'll be more than glad to pray with you. 
But more than coming to the altar, you know, we can come to the altar, but go back and do the same thing. How about you decide today by the power of God that today this yeast comes out of my life and I draw a line in the sand in this destructive pattern in my life. Father, I pray you're healing over my brothers and sisters today. Father, remove every hint of lust. Remove every hint of sexual immorality. Remove all doubt and unbelief, Father God. Father, remove everything that would hinder them from entering into your fullness and from entering into your power, God. Today, Father, we ask for the yeast of the kingdom to come and to turn that around, that we are under the spirit of life that will subdue death. Maybe you've been thinking you're insignificant and that your work for the Lord is insignificant. Maybe the enemy's been lying to you and telling you that, you know what, what you do does not matter. That's a lie today. And today I pray for the strength of God over your life. We're going to believe the testimony of our God. We're going to believe the light. We're going to believe the truth. We renounce every lie. Today, Lord God, we say, God, come. Begin to pray and say, Lord, let your kingdom come. Begin to pray right where you are. Say, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, let everything that you've destined me to become, let everything you've told me to be, let every promise you've given me, let it come today, God. We receive it today, Lord. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hallelujah, Father. Hallelujah. There's some of you that your dreams have been so dormant because because of a lie or because of whatever. There's dreams God put inside of you. There's visions he put inside of you. And they're dormant right now. They're dormant. They're underneath somewhere. But today, we dig them up. We dig them up and we stir them up in the name of Jesus. I declare you will dream again. You will dream again in the name of Jesus. There's some of you that had visions. You got out of high school. You got out of college. You had a vision of a business. You had a vision of direction for your life. And now you might say, I'm too old. That ship has sailed a long time ago. I'm too old. Can God still use me? God wants you to know he can still use you. God can still use you. Moses was, was in his older when he got, when he began to use, be used by God mightily. Joshua and Caleb, Caleb was 80 years old and he was still strong for the task. Some of you have visions and dreams and you're thinking, I'm too young. Why would God use me? I mean, there's a lot of other people he can use. But you know what? God can use you. Why not you? Why not you? Father, today, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Let it permeate every area of our lives. In Jesus' name.